Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. All right, now if you'll take your Bible and turn to Psalm 119. Um, We are in the third volume of a a project that's been going on since 2018. Um, And in this last, this third volume of Psalm 119, what we've noticed, uh, we're gonna be in Psalm 119, verse 161 today, okay? Uh, What we've noticed over the last few weeks is this, uh, a lot of focus on trouble, anguish, pain, persecution, There's been a lot of focus on that sort of experience from the writer. Now today, uh, it touches on that, but the whole section strikes a bit of a different tone. There's a lesser focus on trouble and more of a focus on the truth. And, And the focus moves from all the pain I'm in to how much the writer loves God's word. And the tone is not one of duty. I think sometimes when we're in trouble, uh, we kind of have the thought, well, I know I need to come to church. I know I need to get into God's word. And there's a lot of shoulds and woulds and oughts and a lot of duty that's coming out of that mindset. But the the writer of this section, um, the writer of Psalm 119 has a lot of delight in his mind. He's delighting in God's word. That's, that's what happens in the midst of trouble and pain. He delights in God's word. And what he finds when he delights in God's word in verse 165 is great peace. Not just peace, great peace. And in the world we live in today, that's what we need. We need great peace peace. And so my hope is that we would leave here with great peace today. That's what I want. So what I want to do is I'm going to read this section. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into what God's Word says today. Verse 161. Princes, persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for my ways are before you. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, we come today uh, with lots of different things on our hearts and minds, and you know, Lord, you know every story listening to this today. You know, you know that you know every story in this room, you know every story watching online, you know every story today. And so, Lord, you know what we need from you today. And and you're not intimidated by what we need from you, you're not overwhelmed by that, you're not uh stressed about that. You're you're a God who's big enough to handle whatever we bring to you and give us great peace in the midst of it. So, Lord, I ask that you would meet with us today that you would speak to every heart listening in a way that only you can. And Lord, I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive from your word today. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Now, I want us to see that there's a touch on the trouble in verse 161. He says, princes persecute me without cause. Now it says princes, um, these are those that have some power, but they don't have any responsibility, right? They're not kings, 
They're not kings, they're princes. And these princes are persecuting the writer. Now that can mean harass, it could mean annoy, it could mean doing harm. And the writer says they're doing this without cause. In other words, this is unjust persecution. It's unjust. There's no cause for them to be doing this to him. But notice how quickly the topic changes in this psalm, in this section. He says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Now that word awe means revere or fear. It's an idea of reverence. So he's got these princes who are causing trouble in his life, but he does not, he does not revere them. He is in awe of God's word. And so the focus of this section of Psalm 119 is not on the problems we face, but on the peace that we find. And we find it when we delight in God's word. So that's the one idea I want you to leave with today. It's going to be in two points, but the one idea is that we delight in God's word and that brings peace, great peace. Delight in God's word brings great peace. Let's start with delighting in God's word. Again, in 161, he says, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your word. Do you hear the delight in that? In the midst of persecution, he has an awe of God's word. The writer's being persecuted without cause, but his heart is in awe of God's word. There's something about suffering, isn't there? There's something about difficulty and trouble that helps us understand parts of God's word better. In fact, so often when we're in trouble or going through difficulty, uh, when we read God's word, we'll, we'll say something like, I found a verse today. Now that verse wasn't lost, right? It wasn't, it's not new. It's not all of a sudden new on your copy of the Bible. But for some reason in that moment, that verse connected with your heart and you were in awe of God's word. And your trouble kind of faded for a minute. That's what the writer's saying. His heart is in awe of God's word. Now, the second uh, way he delights is joy in verse 162. He says, I rejoice at your word. So not only is he in awe of it, revering it, he is also rejoicing in it. You can do both. You can both revere God's word and rejoice in it at the same time. He says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. Now that word spoil has the idea of something valuable, like a treasure. I remember when I was young, I was probably under eight and I was riding my bike in my driveway and I found a $20 bill. Now this was back in the seventies, maybe 80. It was a long time ago. That $20 was worth a lot of money then. It's probably more like 75 or $80 now. And I was excited. I'd found treasure. I had money. And so I went to my mom. I said, Mom, look what I found. And she says, I wonder whose that is. I'm thinking, well, it's mine. <laughs> this is treasure. And so she made me go to my neighbors and ask whose it was. But that's another conversation. So, but it was like treasure to me, and I was excited. Now, this, this concept of treasure here is not exactly that kind of treasure. It's a, a, a different kind. It's called spoil. It's, it's a hard-won treasure. It's, it's treasure that comes after a hard-won victory. It's like the spoils of war is this idea. And so maybe you've been fighting to understand a doctrine that's in the Bible. 
You've been fighting to understand something that's in God's word, and it's been really hard for you to wrestle through it and understand it. And then you kind of have some clarity about it, and you see it as a treasure. Or maybe you've enduring, you've been enduring great suffering. You've been walking through what Psalm 23 calls the valley of the shadow of death, and it just feels like the, the, the world has been so painful and hard. And in the midst of that, you find some truth in God's word that spoil, treasure one at great cost to you. Or maybe you've been fighting temptation and you've, you've been fighting and fighting and fighting and you've been praying and asking God for grace and for strength and, and finally you have some victory in this thing. God's word has become a treasure that has been obtained after a hard-fought victory. That's how the writer views it. Not only is he in awe of God's word, he rejoices at God's word. Now, all this culminates in 164 in ongoing praise. Look at verse 164. He says, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped verse 163. So not only, does he, and not only is he in awe of God's word and rejoice in God's word, he loves God's word, 163. He says, I, ab- I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Now, law there means God's teaching. Doesn't law doesn't always mean commands and rules. Sometimes it means teaching. And what he's saying here is, I love your word. I love your teaching. And I hate and abhor anything opposed to it. So not just hate, double hate. I hate and abhor falsehood, he says. Now, all this awe and rejoicing and loving of God's word culminates in 164 in ongoing praise. He says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Now, it's probable that it's not like seven like alarms that go off and he does this. It's probable that this is more poetic than actual. Like, and what he's saying is it's that I'm, I'm just praising you all the time for your righteous rules. Maybe in an actual prayer, maybe in a song that he sings, or maybe just an attitude that he has for God's righteous rules. Now, one of the problems we have with a word like rules is that we don't like rules. And the Hebrew word for rules there means rules. Okay, So it means what it sounds like. And we don't like rules unless we make them. If we make them, we're okay with them but we don't like others imposing rules on us. But the writer says here that they are righteous rules, that these are God's instructions for how the world works. And since God made the world, God knows how it works. And when we obey his rules, we live according to his design. And when we we do not, we experience the ongoing brokenness of the world we live in. The writer says, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. He's talking about God's instructions. Now, I have a new college student. We have two children in college, but I have a new college student, which means I've been putting together a lot of Ikea furniture, okay? And if you know Ikea furniture, you know not only do you have leftover pieces, but you also have instructions, right? And I'm one of those men that actually look at the instructions because inevitably, In an Ikea situation, there's a step three that doesn't make sense to me until step 14, right? And then you get to step 14, and if you didn't do step three, you got to take it apart and start over at step one. Well, that's kind of the way it is with God's righteous rules. There's some things that God has commanded in his word that are 
kind of confusing maybe today. And we don't understand step three until we get down the road to step 14 in our lives. And then we realize why God designed the world the way he did. And the psalmist says, the writer says, seven times a day, ongoing praise for your righteous rules. So we see delight. He's in awe of God's word. He rejoices over God's word. He loves God's word. He praises God's word. And there's one more way he delights in it. And the way he delights in God's word is obedience. Look at verse 163. He says, I do your commandments. 167, my soul keeps your testimonies. 168, I keep your precepts and your testimonies. And this obedience is an expression of delight, not duty. This obedience is an expression of his delight in God's word. And so in the midst of trouble and pain, the writer delights in God's word. And in the midst of this section of Psalm 119, there's a there's an amazing promise we need to hold on to here. Look at, and that is the promise of great peace. When we delight in God's word, we find great peace. We see that in 165. It says, great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So there's a promise here. Great peace, not just peace, great peace, have those who love your law, nothing can make them stumble. And so what the writer is holding out here is a promise of peace. Now, throughout the Bible, there's a couple of different kinds of peace. There's peace from God that we need for our everyday. And that's the one we often think about. We often think, I'm in trouble, I need peace from God. I'm stressed, I need peace from God. I'm taking a test I didn't study for. I need peace from God. There's another kind of peace the Bible talks about, and that's peace with God. Okay? There's there's peace we get from God, and there's peace we get with God. And the peace from God is for our everyday. The peace with God is what's necessary for all eternity. And what the writer tells us is great peace have those who love your law. And the most important of those two, this one, peace from God, is what we feel more often. But the one that's most important is peace with him. Because you see, you and I don't often stand in awe of God's word. We we don't sometimes keep his commandments. We don't sometimes keep his testimonies from our soul. In fact, the Bible tells us that all of us have sinned. We've rebelled against him. The God that that loves us, we've rebelled against him and run from him. And yet God loved us so much that he came to bring peace. Not just peace from God for our everyday, but peace with God for our eternity. And he sent his one and only son into the world to live, die, and rise again so that God could make peace with us, so that we could be forgiven and made family, so that our sin could be taken away, so that we could be brought into God's family as his child. And so if you 
are here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot have peace from God without making peace with God. And the way you get peace with God is to simply trust Christ. You don't earn peace with God. You don't achieve peace with God. You don't, you don't somehow obtain it apart from a gift of grace. Jesus came to bring peace with God. One of the, uh, one of the things I try to do is to be the first, first person in our family to spot Christmas decorations in the store, and that's coming in about a week. I don't know if you know that or not. Like in about a week, there's going to be Christmas decorations everywhere, and I love Christmas. Like I, I love music. Like I have a firm Labor Day policy. I don't listen to Christmas music before Labor Day. Like that's I have a firm Labor Day policy. Okay, but I, I mean I love I love Christmas, and and I remember uh, the the announcement of news that came on the night of Jesus' birth. Peace on earth. Jesus came to bring peace, peace with God for our eternity and peace from God for our everyday. And there's a way that we obtain this peace with God and peace from God. We obtain that by trusting in him. Now, the psalmist says, great peace have those who love your law. And so one of the ways we get peace from God is by spending time in his word. We spend time in his word. Another way we get peace from God is we spend time in prayer. I love Philippians 4, and I wear it out, I think. I may, may use it too much. But Philippians 4, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, now, listen to how Paul describes the great peace of Psalm 119. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This peace that we get from God surpasses all understanding. Like, we can't even understand it. But it guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So we have this peace with God because of Jesus, and we have peace from God because of Jesus. And notice what the verse says in, verse, in Psalm 119. It says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Nothing. Now, this word stumble doesn't mean trip and fall. It means um, be destroyed. This idea of stumbling is like our, our, uh, we're, we're just completely destroyed and devastated. It's not that you don't trip and fall every once in a while. When our kids were younger, I remember walking by them when they were first learning to walk and, and kind of holding their hand as we were walking down a, the sidewalk or whatever. And I was probably walking too fast for them because my legs are, you know, their height at that point. And so, um, but I was holding them with my hand. And I remember sometimes they would kind of stumble, but they wouldn't fall because I had them by the hand. And I love Isaiah 41 says, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, Fear not, for I am the one who helps you. Psalm 119 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And because of Jesus, we can have peace with God for our eternity. And we can have peace from God for our everyday.
And that comes, it says in 165, to those who love his law or his word. Now, what's interesting is then he tells us like what loving your law looks like. Okay, Look at verse 166. He says, I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. Now, scholars or most writers think that this is kind of rhyming with that idea of loving your law. What it means to love God's word or love God's law means that we hope for his salvation and we do his commandments. And so the writer understands he has no hope for salvation apart from God. That God is his only hope for salvation. There's no other hope. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, there's no other hope that's going to give you peace with God and peace from God. But if you've walked with Jesus for a long time, I want to remind you, there's no other hope for your salvation. Sometimes what can happen for us is when we walk with Jesus for a long time, we can start to believe the lie that Jesus died for me, but the rest is up to me. We can start to believe this idea that, yeah, 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 I've got I've to have the grace of God to be saved, but it's up to me to live. And that's not what the Bible teaches. There's no other hope. There's, there's no hope to be saved. There's no, hope to, there's no other hope to endure. There's no other hope into eternity but the one who came to give us peace. We have no other hope but him. And what it looks like to love God's word or to love his law is to remember that we have only the hope, we have only Jesus as our hope. And then because Jesus is our hope, we do his commandments in verse 166. In fact, he says, my soul keeps your testimony. So it's not this external obedience to rules. There's this internal desire to obey that happens when we, get, when we become followers of Christ. And what he's telling us is there's a great peace available for those who hope in God for their salvation and who obey God with his word. And so, God offers great peace to those who love his word. Great peace. And in a world like you and I are living in, which is really no different than other world, the, 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 than the world that's been going on for a very long time. We need great peace. And so the question is, do you want peace? Do you want it? Do you want peace? Real, lasting peace. Peace from God for your everyday. Peace with God for eternity. Do you want it? Because it's available. It's available. Now the challenge is many of us have other ways that we think we might find peace. For some of us, we think we'll find peace by creating it. Like if, if I can just create enough order in my life and order around me, then I'll have peace because I've made it. Some of us think if we can just be someone in the world, we can achieve, we can get some degree, we can do something, then we'll have peace. Others think if we can just escape it, if we can just escape hard enough, long enough, we'll finally have peace. But none of those things give us peace for our everyday, and they certainly don't give us peace into eternity. There's only one place, only one person 
that will give us peace with God and peace from God. And the only way we get it is as a gift. The only way we get it is if we come to Jesus and humble ourselves and say, Jesus, I need peace. I need peace with God. I need peace from God. I need peace with God that will see me into eternity. I need peace from God that will see me through every day. That's the only way we get the great peace that he's holding out. And so, do you want peace? Do you want peace today? It's only one way you find it. And there's a cost to it. It's free, but there's a cost. The cost is we have to humble ourselves to get it. We have to humble ourselves. We have to say to God, all those places I've been running, they won't work. Jesus, you're the only one who came to give peace with God and peace from God. And so we humble ourselves and we come to him and we say, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need you. And the promise we have is that great peace, great peace, have those who love your law. Nothing, nothing can make them stumble. And so if you want great peace today, Jesus will give it to you. You just have to humble yourself to get it. Let's pray together. Father God, I'm so grateful for your goodness to us and your love for us. I'm so grateful for your kindness and all the ways that you grant us peace. Lord, we, uh, we live in a world that is filled with difficulty and trouble. Many of us are experiencing that in a really acute way right now. We really feel the we feel the reality of sin. We feel the reality of difficulty. We feel the reality of pain. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a, a, a hunger and a joy and a love for your word that drives us to dependence on Jesus. That we would hope in you and you alone, not in any other, any other source of salvation that we might try or seek. That we would hope in you and that your word would be so sweet, that it would, be, it would be like hard-won treasure, that it would be like something we rejoice about, and that we would not just have peace with you, but that we'd have peace from you to see us through these days. Great peace, peace that passes understanding. That's what we want, that's what we need. So Lord, would you supply that by your grace? We pray in Christ's name, amen.